0: DIY twenty at checkout to save twenty percent.
1: It just boggles my mind that you know some of the people out there that are serious bird hunters don't come east and try to take advantage of some of what we offer even though it's not it's not world class, uh, but we offer something different and you know, you can get a lot of contacts and, you know, extend your season for for you and your dogs. So, I mean, that off season is, that's dragging by when you're six or seven months and you haven't taken your dog out in the field uh, for a bird hunt. And, you know, I, I would go out and hunt a Tweety bird if, the, if I was allowed to.
0: <laughs> Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird. Well, good news. Maybe. It might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans.
2: After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. This week, we are joined with Jim Burris, again, who was just recently on the uh, the podcast with the Bird Dog Society, but we're also joined by Judson Brock uh, down here in North Carolina. Judson, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody what it is that you do.
2: Oh, My name is Jud Brock, and I don't... It's hard to say what I do. A little bit of everything. Little, I, I dabble in a lot of things. My, my main... My main job is I'm a, I'm a in inshore fishing guide here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, I guide some duck hunts as well, and then I love upland hunting. Grew up doing it with my dad a good bit, and have recently gotten back into it. And I've had a lot of bird dogs, and I've had some bird dogs that never bird hunted, and I had some bird dogs that have hunted. So
0: <laughs> yeah, and so we're we're gonna dive a little deeper in on that and kind of set the stage. But uh, first off, you know what we're talking about this episode is Jim invited me down. Uh, uh, really, when we recorded the snipe and rail episode, I again, if I was a better host, I'd have the episode number and date yeah, when we did that. I think that. that was
1: like back in January or something like that. Something.
0: I'll, I'll dig it up and put put it in the show notes for sure. But uh, you extended the invitation. I told you, don't threaten me with a good time, or else I'll show up. <laughs> and uh, and I came down, and I've had a couple nights to sleep on this because my first reaction when we came out of the field the other day uh, after chasing these these crazy little birds. Um, was it's probably one of the most overlooked underappreciated opportunities in Upland, or at least how w- how we uh did it, but I didn't want to just start saying that right off the bat. I wanted to sleep on it and think on it some more. A couple days removed, I still think that they're one of the most overlooked or underappreciated birds out there. Would you guys, Judd, I guess I'm asking you because I know, Jim, you've been hunting them for, for a couple of seasons at least. That's why we talked about it before. Judd, with your first experience really hunting them like we did the other day, would you kind of agree with that?
2: Yeah, definitely so. And for it to be... <laughs> so close to my house and right in my backyard and just a a lot of opportunity a lot of contacts with those birds it was awesome and good shooting oh sorry we weren't shooting very good but you know lots of shooting opportunity uh it was it was a good time
0: yeah because uh jim what was the final numbers that we were at on on just saturday's walks i think it was like five hours 60 plus flushes or contacts So we we broke the sixty number, and I we, we were talking about it. Obviously, you know we could have done a better job of keeping track of it, but I'd say it was around half, if not a little bit more, that they were actual contacts that the bird dogs actually got to work.
1: Yeah. So uh, some of the birds, you know, in the shorter grass would get up a little bit early. Um, usually, the dog would catch wind, and you know, they're kind of uh, creeping in and 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 tracking a little bit, and the birds would get up before they were able to establish a point. But in that taller grass. You know the the dogs were able to stick points pretty pretty easy on those birds. Yeah, uh, if they were on the right side of the wind and and then the rail were holding super tight, and so I think all the rail got uh, pointed. So
0: yeah, so well one rail got got uh, snagged by Rachel, <laughs> but it came off of a point, right? So yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that point story snag. here in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, point snag. There we go. Uh, and and again, so the episode, Jim just pulled it up and and showed me it was episode 120, uh, that that we did on snipe and rail. And so we're not, we're not going to go back and recap that entire episode, Jim, but you know, for, for the listeners that may obviously didn't, didn't hear that episode when we did that, maybe they're unfamiliar with snipe and what a rail is. Uh, can you kind of give us a brief overview and of, of what these birds are and, uh, like the different types of them?
1: Yeah, so they're they're a shore bird, um, so they kind of fit in that gray area between waterfowl and upland. Uh, they're migratory birds, and they come down here to North Carolina to overwinter. Some of them go further south down into Florida and even down into Central America, uh, but as long as the winters aren't too harsh here in North Carolina, we have the birds all winter long, and if you you know have a, uh, a pointing dog, it's one of the first birds that we can hunt with a pointing dog uh, in the season because our quail season and woodcock and, and everything hasn't come in. Uh, but they, they, they like having wet feet, uh, They like damp soil. Um, they eat a little, uh, crustaceans and worms and, and insect larvae and stuff like that. Uh, and, and they can be here one day and gone the next, depending on weather. kind of like woodcock and any other migratory bird. Uh, but I mean, with a snipe, you can get them in pretty big numbers. You get a flight good on those. You can have hundred, 200, uh, flushes in a day. Um, and they can be, you know, uh, singles or there could be eight or nine or 20 of them in a small confined area uh, when you find them. So sometimes you're literally trying to reload as quick as you're shooting uh, just because there's so many birds. And especially if you have a steady dog where you don't have to worry about them running, um, then you can just keep popping away. You can allow eight birds, but, you know, you have to be an excellent shot in order to get eight of them in a day. Uh, Things kind of have to work out. Um, you do want to kind of pick your days or at least I do whenever you hunt them. um you know I like a, a stiff wind you know 10 15 miles an hour you need to have a little bit of, of cover for them to feel secure so they'll hold uh, a lot of times you'll find them out in like a, a manic you know p- pasture land or something that's flooded uh, it's really hard to get close to those birds with a pointing dog um, so you kind of want to look for some cover some grass and and uh, hunting them with pointing dogs a blast um, you know if you got Several people in a group. It's good to make sure to wear orange hat or orange shirts because sometimes they come out fast and low. Uh, so you you, you don't want to take a novice out there, maybe uh, unless you know, you're comfortable with their gunning skills. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, as, as far as resources here in North Carolina, snipe and rail hunting is definitely way overlooked, especially if you have a pointing dog. Um, and you know, if you if you hunt a few weeks out of the season. Uh, I mean, you can get 500 to 1,000 birds uh, just in like 10 to 15 hunts, I would say.
0: Yeah, and so I want to get into here in a a minute, like, why is it that people claim that you can't get quality bird contacts with the dog? But Judd, I'm a little more curious on your end how familiar you were with snipe hunting prior to going out there and hunting it? Like, did you only hear the tall tales and stuff on the snipe hunting, like grab a pillowcase and a flashlight and go in the woods like we all did? Or or were you a little bit more familiar with it?
2: I was a little, I mean, I definitely heard the tall tales for sure for, since I was a little kid, but um, familiar with, you know, that the fact that you could actually go out there and hunt them with a, with a bird dog and that people did hunt them and I've seen YouTube videos of guys in Florida, like just kind of walking and, and flushing birds and hunting them that way. Um, and I, I know another guy here in North Carolina that hunts them as well. And it's something that's always intrigued me, but has been a little intimidating as to like, you know, whereabouts is a good area to, to target these birds. What am I looking for? Um, and so being able to see that the other day was really cool. And, and then immediately playing in my head, like so many other places like that around here that I'm like, oh, well, that, I feel like I could go make that happen in those areas as well. So that was uh that was cool, but yeah, I mean it was something that I kind of heard was pr- maybe a pretty good opportunity here, but but didn't really know how to make it happen. So that was it was really unique and and awesome to check out.
0: Well, and the comparisons there, I think we all said two or three comparisons to other birds while we're actually hunting these, and and to me it was like a wet version of dove hunting. The way they flew, the challenging of shooting, they they'll humble your your shot real quick. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Like you said, they they flush low, they flush quick, and man, they pick up sp- steam and, and they're out of there. Uh, but I, I'm curious on y'all's takes. Why do y'all think that if it's been this ample of an opportunity, you know, we talk about woodcock in the southeast a lot. You don't hear about snipe hunting from anybody. That's why you know, Jim, we had you on a, a year ago or whatever it was to to talk about it because it's a completely different opportunity that doesn't ever get spoken about. If anybody's actually trying it, they're at least not talking about it. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, you can get in really big numbers with
1: these birds, and so I mean, the, the, if you have a dog, uh, particularly in the southeast where it's challenging, challenging to find any wild birds, uh, it's definitely a, a untapped resource, but. You know, as we were talking about there the other day, you know, snipe at one point, their populations had plummeted from market hunting uh, to the point where a whole generation w- weren't able to hunt snipe because the numbers were so low. And and so, you know, if you think about it, you know, a father's going to take his kid hunting for the birds that he grew up hunting. And so it's almost like a whole generation of people got lost uh, snipe hunting. It's, I mean, it's very popular snipe hunting over in Europe. Um, and, you know, it was popular in the United States there for a while. Uh, but then that, when the population plummeted, it just the, it hasn't picked back up in popularity. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a, um, with these podcasts and a few other, I know the Flush just did an episode on, on snipe hunting down in Florida. They didn't use dogs. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's, it's something that people are starting to look at uh, as an opportunity for their dogs and, and just to expand their season because our season comes in in October. And uh, is in until the end of February. And if the weather's good, you know, we'll have
0: birds uh, for that. What? That's a lot of opportunity for, I mean, that's three four months or something. Yeah, that's over four months. And, you know, here at Gundogger yourself, we're not going to touch on something that we don't do with our dogs. Uh, yeah. And so that's, that's where I'm headed with this is because I think, you know, like what you said, it, it may be way back in the day. It was something that people did then for whatever reason, populations dropped off. Maybe they stopped doing it. But, but to me, like that still doesn't answer the question of why is it claimed that you can't hunt them effectively with a dog? Because we just did it Saturday. The only, and you guys tell me what you think on this. The only kind of thing that I've been thinking on is the typical upland hunter isn't going to be run around in muck boots or hip hip waders or anything like that because essentially we were in quail habitat that was flooded i mean we were working quail cover that was you know when we we're getting into the birds is about you know maybe an ankle deep usually a little shallower right on the edges of where it was flooded i don't think the typical upland hunter is going to work that. And so I think that's why maybe the the opportunity with dog work kind of was was stomped down a little bit is just because people just weren't doing it. And then it, you know how people are instead of saying, well, I just don't try it. It turns into you can't do it. It's not worth trying it.
1: Yeah. Most of the people I know that have shot snipe, it's been a kind of an opportunistic opportunity. You know, they just run into them while they're out bird hunting and you know, it's usually a flooded ag field or flooded pasture field or something and they find them and you know, with that short grass and, you know, a harvested, uh, fields, it's kind of, it's kind of like trying to walk up on a covey of, uh, huns or, or sharp tails that are out in the stubble, you know, it's a, it's a challenge for any bird that's in short grass, uh, to get a dog close to them. Um, and so if you target snipe, you're looking for different stuff than if you're just out walking and stumble into them. So I think that if you're specifically looking for them, you kind of evaluate cover a little bit differently. Um, and you know, it, I think it's different if you're mentally focused on, hey, I'm going to go snipe hunting today versus, hey, I'm going to go quail hunting and, you know, you stumble into a snipe
0: or two here or there. Yeah, consolation but, prize yeah. almost. Because that's the only way that I've seen or at least, you know, taken one was just happenstance, just, you know, jump shooting some ducks. Oh, there's a snipe and you shoot one. It was actually Lucy's first wild bird retrieve up in North Dakota when she was a pup. So it's uh, it was really interesting going out there once you told me that it can be done and and. You know, go after it. I, I was interested and hooked. Uh, Judd, what, what were your thoughts going in with your young dog? Because, first off, you have a griff, one of the better looking griffs that I, I've seen. I've well, told you that you. a few times. Uh, it's wh- why a griff? Wh- like, wh- what made you want to go get a griff? And then is it just the contacts and opportunity that made you want to go out there chasing these birds with him?
2: well the the griff i fell in love with a few griffs when i was living out in montana i knew a couple people that had them and they were just really cool dogs and i bird hunted with with them and um i don't know i just i like i like the way that they looked and um the way that they worked and you know uh, being not a super avid bird hunter i mean i want to be the best bird hunter i can be but um it was just a dog i was drawn to so that that's kind of why i went with it maybe not uh, as much you know, studying into picking out my dog as some people might do. But um, for me, I want to go get anything that, that I'm doing, fishing, hunting. I want to do it as much as I can and, and get better at it. And, and especially with the dog, any type of interaction with birds that I can get, I definitely want to. And then myself learning from other people that are more experienced. I mean, there's, you know, there's so much to learn. And I think that's why I jump around from so many outdoor at, pursuits because I just want to learn and get better at all of it together. But, um, yeah, it was it was cool to see him kind of pick it up. And I, I feel like snipe hunting for him might be like the, the best of both worlds. Cause he gets the water and the birds all in one area. And he was definitely enjoying that. But I mean, I think one of the reasons that people might not do it too, is that wasn't super easy. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's, it was work. I'm sore. I, I pulled something in my groin out there. And I, like, even when we were getting out of the boat today, I had to like pick my leg up with my arm to get my, my leg over that uh, back part of my boat. But, um, that could keep some people out of it for sure
0: absolutely i mean it essentially we were hunting flooded quail cover but it felt like you were in like some really dense crp pheasant program somewhere in iowa or something trumps and through there because you it's flooded so you're picking up your feet nonstop, and so by the end of your hunt those hip flexors are on fire man yeah
1: well i mean uh while we were hunting though the, the ground was pretty solid though it was so. solid I mean, I am mean, just it was wimp. mud, and oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, 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 think that would be a big part of it. You know, if you, if you, if you're looking for something, try to get something where it's a
2: little easier and firmer to walk. Well, and, no matter so. how hard you tried to, like, I was trying so hard not to get any water over the top of my boots first, oh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it, yeah. it just happened. I mean, the water got in there, and then you're like, all right, we'll live with it. I, I so, but, was
0: good till about three quarters of the way through. I kept my feet dry, and then as it was. It, it was halfway through the the second walk that we did to close it out or something, it's like I took one step and it went right over the lip and then all of a sudden, you know, you're stepping on bullfrogs the rest of the way out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I got some spots. I don't even wear rubber boots because I go in, over them every single time. Yeah, that's what. That,
0: so Friday we go out for a short walk, and I'm putting rubber boots on. And I was like, "You're not putting rubber boots on?" And you're like, "Ah, I just wear some old boots." And he <laughs> just embraces the suck and just yeah. goes in. He's just like, "I know it's going to go in over my boots," yeah. so I just kind of start off. That I'd rather way. have
1: a
2: comfortable pair of wet shoes on yeah. than rubber boots full of water. <laughs> I, I could see that. Uh-huh. Uh, I was making some noise on that last walk back to the truck. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were all a little slower getting back to the truck. Less uh, talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little less talking. Uh but one thing that really stood out to me on, on the main walk on Saturday with all of us was, you know, back to this point with the dogs, because I, I think that ultimately this is what keeps a lot of uplanders from attempting it. Is you know you hear and and you don't ever hear about people hunting it with dogs, but then you hear the exact opposite to where you can't. And not only did we do it, but we did it with four different breeds, all four different development levels and ages. Uh, each one kind of showed up and learn something in their own right to where to, I think you said it on the podcast that we did Jim, to where you had to find more contacts for, for Manu, you, you were tired of doing pen race birds. You can't only hunt woodcock, you know, if you you can, and it can be fun, but if you're really trying to develop a dog, you need that variety and you you need, uh, the dog to get on different types of birds and different types of situations and. I mean, Saturday just kind of lived up to that bill. I mean, I, everything you described, I think that we got to watch unfold throughout the day.
1: Yeah, one thing I really like about snipe, um, I mean, it really kind of gets the dog and the gunner both in condition for the for the season when it comes around because, you know, you think of woodcock and them being kind of a gentleman's bird where they hold tight and, you know, you can sit there and read a book and then go up and flush them and shoot them <laughs> if you want. Whereas he snipe, you know, in good cover, they'll hold, uh, but they're also not going to let there and set you, you know, let you, uh, you know, check Instagram or, or pull up a camera or something to take a shot always because uh, they're a little spookier. Um, and so they, and really, I think they behave more like what people would think a wild bird would would behave like. Uh, and so, especially if you're going out west and and hunting other birds and, and rough grouse and stuff like that, you know, it, it kind of builds on a little bit of caution uh, with your dog. You know, so they got to learn all right, I can get this close to that bird before I got to go in point, otherwise it's going to flush. And and you can kind of see that with some of the dogs yesterday. They would get sent, and then they kind of lower their head and do a little bit of tracking, and then they would just lock up once they were sure, uh, you know, that there was a bird close. And and so it just teaches good bird manners. You know, you, you can't have a good bird dog without birds, but, you know, you can also say you can't have a good wild bird dog without wild birds. And, and so a lot of times I think using too many pin-raised birds and then trying to translate that to wild birds, sometimes it's uh, got some growing pains associated with it. And so being able to get this many contacts
0: on wild birds, uh, if you're a wild bird hunter, I mean, you can't replace that. And and we saw a little bit of everything throughout the day. You know, we saw birds that were pointed really far off to where we couldn't really believe that they were getting winded that far. Then we saw birds that got pointed right on top. We saw bump bird. We saw a little bit of everything to where the dogs, again, at each one of their perspective levels got what I felt like they, they really kind of needed to kind of take that next step. You know, sure. what I call it the the light bulb is flickering. It may not be staying on, but it's flickering. And and we got to witness that throughout the day. Obviously, uh, you know, I would say probably uh, your your dog, Manu, and Rachel will probably is like right out of the gate. They just kind of knew the game. And uh, Rachel's never been on snipe, but she's just old enough and been, been on enough birds to where it's just like she went out there and it was – we were kind of curious, how long is it going to take her to catch on? Not long at all. Yeah, uh, no,
1: she was she was pointing literally every feather that <laughs> was out there. I mean, a you, know, you think of the snipe being small, and a lot of people are like, man, they couldn't put out much scent. But, I mean, Manu's pointed them at 60 yards away sometimes. And so it's, it's, when he goes on points, sometimes it could be a challenge because sometimes you give up on the point because you're sitting there trying to flush something 20 yards in front of him and not realizing it. you got 30 more yards to go. Uh, so I've given up on a lot of points. But, you know, seeing Rachel going out there and, there was some Tweety birds out there that were literally half the size of a snipe that she was pointing. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I was really interested to see how your dogs were going to pick up on it. And Rachel, absolutely right out of the gate, you know, was nailing them. Uh, and then Lucy, you know, just kind of seeing that progression from beginning where she's like, all right, I don't know what we're doing here, to there towards the end, she was, you know, starting to hunt, hunt more, and and her search pattern started to open up a little bit, and you know, she's starting to get the game, and that was only, that was like a two-hour walk, you know, yeah. so within two hours um you know she was picking it up and you know i bet if you went out there today with lucy i bet she'd be sticking points left and right so.
0: yeah it, it was really interesting watching lucy because she got out and she was working it like a quail field even though the, there was water out there but you could tell like she wasn't really picking up that we weren't looking for quail yeah and then it took that one bird busting up in her face and then you know, getting a couple of the shot birds in in her mouth and retrieve. Then and it was just like, okay, you you could see that light bulb starting to come on, and she started searching. And I think she got a got a, a a few points that I don't think we were able to capitalize o- over her. But Rachel, right out of the gate, she pointed that uh, Virginia rail that she ended up <laughs> snagging for. She saved us a shot for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, that that bird tried to flush over her head, and and that just did not work. Just well right for up her nose. Uh, yeah. yeah, just right up, and she just snagged that sucker and said, all right, here. Uh, but Manu, it, it was enjoyable to watch him because you can tell you've you've done this a time or two with him because he was extra cautious and you knew when he when he locked up it was either there is a bird there or there was a bird there very recently. Uh, so it was it was fun getting to watch the poodle pointer that's been doing this for a couple of seasons at it. But uh, Judd, I want you to talk about Cowboy and what you saw. From him because i think one of the most enjoyable things about all this out everything that we're talking about on the dogs is this is kind of wide open country or at least how we worked it you're able to really learn a lot on dog body language yeah. what they're telling you if their head is held high you know that the point is far off if it's close but watching cowboy kind of come alive as the hunt w- unfolded in front of him. I, I really enjoyed that. So I want to hear your perspective on what you saw from Cowboy.
2: Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I, last year, I was able to carry him out at a young age um, to do some woodcock hunting with some other good dogs. And he did pretty good on that. I mean, he, he'd pick up some birds. I killed a couple of birds over his points doing that before he was a year old. And um, that was, it, it was cool, but I could never really see the dog much. And so Hunting, you know, those where we were hunting those snipe, I could I could watch him work and, and see what he was doing a little bit better. And it was really cool to watch him looking at the other dogs, like trying to learn from the other dogs and, you know, backing on his own a little bit and seeing the bird or the dogs locked up and him him kind of coming in there cautiously and stopping and backing some points. Had to help encourage him a few times, but he definitely had some on his own. And um, th- there was that one point in the day where we were looking for that snipe we had shot and looking and looking and looking, we could not find it. And cowboys off in the distance, and I, I look over, and he he gets this kind of different little tail beat when he sees a bird, and his tail will curve down a little bit. Like it, it's like he's trying to lock it up, but it curves down a little bit when he smells a bird up close. And he was doing that, and then next thing we know, he points it, and then a rail flushes out and comes across where we were. And so that was for me the most exciting point of the day, just seeing him like put it all together. And um, it, it's fun to watch him watch him learn and progress a little bit. And I can't wait to get back out there with him again and, and do it and see. So probably we'll have less bird encounters than we did with y'all's dogs but <laughs> <laughs> but
0: I mean he acted exactly like you talked about here. yeah like he's probably gonna mess around with the other dog quite a bit which Rachel's perfect for that because Rachel's yeah. just gonna be all business and say you know go go right. find your own birds right. uh but watching him connect the dots like you said you had to you had to talk him into a back a couple times but then it it only took a few times. And you could see him, like, I saw it for a split second on one or two to where I thought he was stopping on his own and then you were woeing him. And then I think it was one time I was like, hold up, don't, don't woe him this time. I think he's going to stop on his own. And he, and he nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that was, again, just a couple hour walk and you went from a dog not backing a dog backing up of just a few natural you didn't have to use e-collar at all it was just hey hey dude whoa dog on point bird gets up and the dog's like oh that means a bird yeah and it's just that's jim what you're talking about you want wild bird hunters you have to get them on wild birds
1: yeah yeah i mean you think about the reputation you can get out there you know i don't really like to train while i'm hunting but you know just that sheer number of you don't really have to be hard on them or, or put a lot of pressure on them to to get the same results whenever you're getting 60 flushes, you know, you, you imagine you go out and buying 60 quail or chucker and and trying to train backing with those, um you know. So we got a lot of contacts and and yeah, you, I mean, watching Cowboy progress in that period, you know, a, a year and a half old griff that's backing consistently by the end of a, a two-hour walk or two and a half-hour walk. I mean, you think about how many people. After they pass utility testing and Navda, <laughs> spend months and months on backing and uh, and so yeah, it, it just goes goes to show that you know almost every state's got some kind of wild bird that yeah. you know someone can hunt somewhere. And, you know, maybe not be the the you know, the prestigious. It's not the traditional know. quail yeah. or rough grouse. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, there's there's something out there in just about every state that you can get after with your dog. And you know that that's kind of me. I just I just want to you know get the dog out there and get him some work and you know uh, just kind of.
0: The dog doesn't care if it's a wet dove or a dry dove. Exactly, just, he just wants to be out in the field. Yeah. yeah, And you brought up Navda. I want to, I want to stay on that because that was, uh, again, flooded quail territory. Ultimately, like it, it was duck search habitat in a lot of areas. And you know, you you talk about a lot of people when they're tra- tra- training or preparing for the utility tests on Navda, uh, the duck search is the hard part. And it was almost like a lot of these shots all turned into duck search opportunities. And you saw me, there was one time to where I knew where the bird was. I marked it, but Lucy wasn't doing the best job of retrieving. And this is the one that just got up in her face. So she's really high on that, co- you know, bird cocaine. She's real birdie. And so she's just kind of amped up. And so it took a few times to where I stood where I'm at. I knew I kind of slowed the group down for a minute, but it's just like, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to stop. And like you just said, train the in in a real scenario it's not a duck but it was very duck search-esque and uh it you know it's an opportunity that i got to work on that stuff without having to set it up in a in a fake or uh manicured situation
1: yeah i mean hunting in, in these wet conditions i think if you had a dog that was really birdie but kind of timid around water and stuff i think this could be you know kind of Uh, exposure therapy for them really Uh, because you know we had you know where we were hunting out we had those canals going through there and (laughs) and quite a few times the dogs are just like running there hunting along and you know jump into a canal that's over their head Um, but you know then they get out and they're just still you know hyper focused on finding another bird and it's like they don't even think about it so good
2: encouragement to play in the water (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) well and i mean some of that water i mean you want to talk about how many dogs have you been around that they get amped up over birds flushing over the search the the field work and all that stuff but maybe they're not big fans of water i can easily see to where if you can get on these birds really quickly and that dog is getting flush flush shots going off retrieves and everything there are certain areas where that water got pretty deep and then that's when you said that hey this might be a good place for a rail as opposed to a snipe but that dog might take that next step to where like, Hey, I really like water. Cause this is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I think it's associating, you know, water, especially cold water to a positive experience. And, and, and so getting all that shooting and, and birds and stuff, you know, yeah, I, I would imagine that, you know, people going out there, um, you know, just putting up all those birds and in, in that deep water and stuff like that, they could, they could come out of it after a kind of a couple hunting trips with a dog that has a lot more confidence and Cold water and just you know hunting in it and doing like a search pattern in, in water and probably you know maybe even extend like a duck search, longer because you know we were out there for five hours you know hunting hunting snipe in wet conditions and you know you think about the utility test you know they don't they've only got to be out there for ten minutes and you know one of the challenges when your dog comes back at six minutes and they want to they want you to send it back out well if he's out there thinking he's hunting for a bird you know you know he might be out there you know for. Twenty minutes, you know. Oh, I might find a duck or a
0: sniper. Who knows what? Right. So. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the bulk of this episode's been, hey, guys, you can go hunt these with with your dogs. Believe it or not, to to not only can you do it, but it's it, it might be prudent for people to go do that. It is another opportunity, another species, but it translates into what people are doing in the off season, whether it's testing or what have you. But it, it brings in that versatility because we actually jump some ducks. At one point when we first started too, they're a little out of range. We didn't get to take a poke at them, but this that it's a very realistic opportunity to come across some waterfowl while doing this too, and it, and it kind of goes back to what you described the snipe at the start of all this. It's kind of like a an overlap between upland and waterfowl. It, it's it's such a different game almost. Like I don't want to call it upland, but it's not waterfowl either. Uh, you know. What what would you advise the person starting out? What do they need to get going? Like to me, it's just whatever you do, upland hunting in a pair of rubber boots.
1: Yeah, I mean that's just it. I mean, part of it will depend on cover because I'd imagine you know the the ground conditions and stuff like that are going to be different here in North Carolina than maybe in Georgia or you know some of the coastal flats down in in Florida where you probably sink into your chest in mud. Um, you know, so I think you do have to know the area a little bit. But yeah, really, just anything used for upland and and a pair of rubber boots, or maybe a pair of hip waders, and and you're good to go. Because um, even even if there's uh, if it's muddy coastal areas, you know you hunt those fringes and stuff, and that's probably where they're going to be anyway, because that's where your grass is going to
0: be. Yeah, and I mean ultimately, that's that's kind of where it was for me is just. Putting eyes on it, you, you know, you, you can be told what to look for and, and all that stuff. But until you really like, you're out there and you actually put your eyes on it. And of course, you know, you saw me doing my typical plant nerd thing. It's like <laughs> I want to know what this is and what this <laughs> is. And I mean, ultimately, we were in a flooded field of blue stem, which everybody talks the clump grass that you want for quail and all that stuff. And there was a lot of inkberry and in, in, in all of that. Uh, so it's just like that. It, it really is just a flooded quail field anyway.
1: yeah and, and and once you find them uh it's really great to use a tool like on x because you can really kind of start to e-scout and find a lot of areas that would be good for snipe you know some of them are natural occurring and some of them might be seasonal uh for waterfowl but you know you can really pick up on these kind of areas pretty easily on, on a satellite image uh, and then you just start putting the pattern together
0: and next thing you know you got a you know short list of places where you can find snipe so talk to me about rail because we came across a, a couple of Virginia rail and what you described to me and how they flush. It's kind of like they're a plane struggling to get up off the runway. Almost it's like those legs are down yeah. and they, they just weigh too much for that for those little wings. Uh, but you know, so we got into Virginia, but there's other there's Sora, there's Clapper King, and and I think there was one more in there. Well,
1: there's a there's a more hen. Uh, which is a different kind of bird, but it's still in the rail family. Um, but yeah, there's there's the four birds. The kings and the cal- clappers are the bigger uh, of the two species. Uh, the kings tend to hold closer to the coast. The clappers, you, we can find them inshore, you know, a few hours um, inland. Uh, and then the Virginias and, and the sores are the two smaller of the species. And and for the most part, the Virginias are going to be a little bit closer to the coast. The sores can be kind of spread out. So uh, depending on where you hunt, you might get more of one or the other. Gotcha.
0: Judd, you've talked about how you have uh, a way to go target some rail, but it's not in the manner that we hunted them Saturday. What, what's your typical way of, of hunting rail?
2: So we do a lot of rail hunts here in the, on the coast, but we use a boat. We use a polling skiff, like what you'd fly fish for, you know, redfish or tarpon or snook or bonefish out of. And um, we'll target them during flood tides. So we get bigger tides a couple times a month. Uh, where I am, I'm looking for a tide over about five feet and it floods the marsh grass out there, um, and along the intercoastal waterway and behind some of the barrier islands and whatnot. And you can get out there and you can, you could definitely go do it with a dog, but not during a flood tide. I feel like you'd have to do it, you know, when the, when the water's lower. And the other thing you got to think about then is oysters and mussels and stuff like that, that could tear up a dog's feet. But, um, I think there are some islands and it's something I want to try is go, going to some of these islands for the Kings and the clappers. Um but we pushed the boat through during a flood tide and you look for thick grass and push the boat through the thickest grass you can find. And there's a lot of rails out there. And so I had never actually killed because I looked at pictures afterwards Virginia's. Mm-hmm. I've always killed Kings and clappers. I never killed a Virginia rail. And I don't know if I've ever even seen one out there um, in that, in that type of grass.
1: Yeah. I wonder if they're up
2: closer to the shoreline in that kind of, smaller water that might be the case but but yeah they're a lot of fun i take clients out to do that as well and i mean you get that up on fix you just don't have the best part of it which is the dog but it, it does i was feel... just about
0: to say i mean for so if you're doing the push pull like you said you've never done it i don't think i've heard of anybody else using a dog in that scenario except for maybe the, like a retrieve you yeah. know they might have a dog in the kayak or boat or whatever that they'll shoot and then they'll send them but the dog's not actually out there searching and right. finding it not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, we get these dogs and we train them to, to do a field search and and or genetically they, they come stock with it, whatever. Uh, we we want to go put the dogs on the ground. We want right. to drop the tailgates and go. And uh, so I'm curious, like, how how motivated are you to continue doing, like, the push pole or paddle boat uh process as opposed to just going to put the dog
2: down and do repeat what we tried doing saturday Uh, me personally i would much rather just go do it with a dog it it also sucks to do it with the boat because you're looking for the thickest grass possible and then pushing a boat through it with a pole (laughs) so it's it is a lot of work in itself it's very fun to be the shooter not very fun to be the 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 pole man but i can see that um i mean i could um, not imagine myself going and doing it from the boat by myself anymore i mean i'd much rather take my dog and go try to do it And very inspired to go after seeing, you know, those birds hold, because I've always been like, oh, you can't get on them unless the water's flooded and has them, you know, packed into the grass real tight. But I think, you know, there's some sections of like some of our rivers and stuff that have them that are, I think, in that right zone where you might be away from the oysters, but you're not maybe too fresh yet. I think there's some good stuff that we could go. Go do it with a dog and maybe next year if we come back down i'll have some spots that we can yeah. go, go find some kings and some clappers like that i mean i know where they are i just got to figure out and and i've never put boots on on my dog but maybe that could be a way to go do it but i mean there's there's thousands and thousands of kings and clapper rails here that, that live in that marsh grass so yeah i think I'd imagine there's a
1: there's a lot of lakes that i've seen around that i think would be worth exploring for yeah. some rails and, and and snipe and stuff too uh you know particularly in this area we got all this kind of iceberg uh um shallow Massive lakes with uh, you know very shallow fringes with for a lot sure. of grass and stuff. I think you know finding the right
2: areas and on, on some of those lakes would, Could would be probably protected. be dynamite hunting. So yeah, it's I I can get so single minded of thinking like for so long I thought. You could only hunt rails from a polling skiff during a flood tide, but that's not the case. You know? Yeah.
1: All the time I, I get people like, oh, do you, you drive over to the coast to snipe hunt? And, you know, cause I, I live like right in the middle of North Carolina around yeah. the triangle. And I was like, no, I, there's sniping rail around here. You just got to, you know, find the right cover and, 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 and go hunt them,
0: um, well, I got, you know, I have some buddies down in Alabama that got put on a snipe shoot uh, last season, and they were raving about it, how much fun it was and, and all that, but they didn't try with dogs, and they're like, it would be very tough to do it with dogs and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, now I'm curious because they do this annual hunt down there every year. I want to take my dogs down there and be like, no, you, you guys can do this with dogs. Like, yeah. you know, uh, again, if the wind and conditions line up, I can definitely see how if it's dead out there and there's no wind at all, the, those birds aren't going to play ball for you.
1: Yeah. And, and if you got birds, and, and really, uh, we've gotten snipe in basically mud flats with no vegetation. And, and, you know, with a good wind, a dog can still point those like 60 or 70 yards away. So you can still go up and have a chance of, of shooting those birds. Um, but if, if there's not thick enough vegetation, then you really need that wind to kind of help you out.
0: And people might be rolling their eyes at that, like oh, sixty-seven 70 yards. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, but, but no, I mean, it, it, happens, you know, these dogs, if you go out there and especially if there's nothing to obstruct the breeze or, or the scent, scent in the wind, I mean, we saw, I think Manu and Rachel both had a couple points that were 40 plus yards away last year, yeah. Saturday. What, what was that one bird that we kept? that nor-
2: northern bittern that do we were oh, oh, pointing that bird from like 60 <laughs> yards away uh, i didn't even know what the heck it was i
0: was just trusting you guys knew what, what it was i'm like I don't, I don't i just knew it was too big for me to shoot <laughs>
2: <laughs> they, they get when we're pulling the boat too for for rails man those things almost get shot a lot because they will hold and they'll flush and it looks like a massive rail yeah That's what it looks like the way it gets up and everything yep. but
0: well, I'm not going to lie. You know, me being a, a rookie to this type of thing that got up, I'm looking at you guys like saying, I was waiting on one of y'all to be like, oh, that's a king rail or something. And I'm like, all right, pal. Uh, yeah. Are well, we doing this? Well, I looked at it pretty close. And, uh, that would have been a big king rail. <laughs> now, it, uh, again, I, w- I, w- I want to go back to the, the rail because I you you talked about it. I remember you telling me that you you'll shoot a couple rail a year especially the sore rail but then after that you you don't even waste the shell because they're so small and uh the one that the first one i i got to really look at or the only one that, that we bagged was the one that rachel snagged for us i guess she anticipated us us missing that one as well so she just <laughs> took care of the job for us so she goes on point we go up, I think, was it you on her left side and I'm on the right, and, and we kept walking past her like you would any other flush, and we look back, and that bird was in between us and her, and it decided to go over Rachel's head, and that, that was the wrong decision, yeah. and she just snagged it and, and gave it to us, but we're holding it, and I'm like, there, there's nothing to this bird, like you want to talk about these little tweety birds that you kick up going through fields and stuff, training, like that is ultimately what this bird was
1: almost. Yeah, because I, I remember you got it and you're like, uh, we, we were telling you it was a Virginia rail and you're like, and, and the sort rails are smaller than this? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you know, the, the thing about them and they're being a uh, being a migratory bird, their, their breast meat is actually pretty decent size for the size of the bird yeah um and and but yeah the sores are kind of small so i mean you'd have to kill a lot of them and probably make some poppers out of them like you would doves uh so i usually get shoot one or two of those a year virginia is a little bit bigger and then the clappers and and kings are
0: significantly bigger but still it's i mean I i wouldn't consider them a big bird yeah well in the snipe man it's like probably the majority of the listeners here are at least somewhat familiar with woodcock snipe are smaller than woodcock and then you're, the the Virginia rail and obviously Sora Rail are smaller than those. Would you say that the clapper and king rails are about the same size, or a little bigger than snipe, or would you? Say, no, they're how, significantly
1: bigger than a snipe. The king is a okay. very large bird. Yeah. Oh,
2: really? Okay. Not very, but it it's much larger. Yeah,
1: big. much larger than a Virginia rail. Bigger than a woodcock. Um, okay. Yeah, and I would say the Virginia rails are a little bit bigger than the, the snipe for the most
0: part. Yeah. So so eating wise you know i went back and 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 i I cleaned all these birds you know the problem with such small birds is it's hard not to shoot them up to where like i I prefer plucking my birds that i'm going to eat but i'm going through and it's like out of the entire batch that we had it's this it's like one was maybe like pluck worthy and and so like i I went ahead and breasted them out but as i'm breasting them out i'm like yeah these are small birds but you want to talk about i mean perfect like fry them up and like chicken nugget size pieces of meat. I mean, it's just, you, you get a lot of people, they'll clean birds and then chop them up into the size that you already have on this bird. It's right. So I, I'm, I'm excited to get home and, and, you know, throw these in the air fryer just to test well, them out Well, that's the way I, I love to eat them. Just flash fry them on each side and then eat them right out of the skillet when they're yeah. still hot. Cause I've had them in gumbo and, and, you know, different dishes that you're not really going to, be able to tell it apart from any of the other stuff in it. But, you know, and it was, it was fine in that, but I've all, I've always heard that snipe is great. Snipe tastes great. And then, uh, you know, cleaning it the other night, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm looking forward to this one, even though it's not a whole lot of meat, you know, you do have to kill quite a few of them to, to have a decent meal, but you could probably take a few of them and have an appetizer at least out of them.
1: Definitely. Yeah, and, and the way I do it is, a, I don't know if it's weird or, or novel or, or anything, but, you know, it's a given that they're so small and a lot of times we do a lot of short snipe hunts where we just go out for an hour or two and and bag a few of them. As I put them in the freezer hole, I don't even clean them until I'm ready to eat them and then I'll clean them all at once. Yeah, uh, And, you know, they don't get freezer burn or anything like that. And, you know, you let them thaw out a little bit and then you can, you know, cut that breast off pretty easy too when it's semi-frozen.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I think that's actually the easiest way to do them. And then you just get a,
0: gallon bag full of them and then you know you have a have a bird fry yeah so people will hear 60 plus flushes or contacts in a day uh dogs get some good work on it it's fun shooting it's challenging why even you were talking about the other day it's still not something that you do throughout the entire season like if something else is in season you're going to go chase them We just kind of listed off the the criteria and all the positives on it. What is it about that that you're still partly like, I want to go back into the woods and chase woodcock? Well, you know, you think about the season.
1: You know, snipe season's in for over four months. You know, woodcock season's only in for 45 days, so that's a month and a half. Um, And it's just a different bird. I I, I love being in the woods. Um, And I think that hunting these snipe actually... Um, makes my, you know, makes Manu a better woodcock hunter because he respects those birds a little bit more too. Because sometimes, you know, the, the woodcock can get bumped too, especially if they've got some pressure and stuff. So I've noticed that the distance of which he, he points a woodcock has increased um, after we've been hunting the snipe. And so he just has more respect for the wild birds. And, and uh, you know, I, I like a little bit of diversity in my life. I got a versatile dog and I want to be a versatile hunter and, and chase after, you know, everything I can. And so, uh, snipe is the first thing that comes in, so I usually target those first, and then you know it's one of the last things to go out. And so after woodcock's out, then I still have a whole another month that I can chase snipe in February, um, and and so that's kind of it's just more of a a, a timing thing um, to where we'll, we'll hit snipe hard early, and then once uh, quail and, and woodcock comes in, then we'll kind of switch gears and then go back to snipe to finish off the season. So it's kind of like a, the
0: beginning and the end of the season for us. Well, it's like Friday evening. I mean, we're hunting snipe, you know, we got, we got, flew a few birds Friday. Wasn't, wasn't the most lucrative uh, walk that we've had, but Lucy also found the woodcock right on the edge of where we're hunting snipe. So, you know, feasibly you can do both. I mean, you, you realistically, how many ducks did we kick up Friday even so oh, like yeah, you realistically given the wma regs or wherever you're at you could go shoot snipe you could go shoot rail you could shoot your, you know jump shoot some ducks as well as woodcock you could have a nice little mixed bag in that vest
1: yeah and, I, and i've done that a few times because you know the sniper could be in the fields but then you just have to go in the woods a little ways and then you're in woodcock habitat and, and especially you have all that moist soil around you know uh, the edges where these uh Waterfowl impoundments and and marshes and lake edges and stuff
0: where they meet the woods those are also prime places to find woodcock. So yeah, Judd, what is this is this changing your uh, your thoughts or your plans this season with Cowboy and and how to develop him because he's kind of at that perfect age. What is he, a year right now? Right at a year, isn't he? Isn't that what you said? Yeah, he's
2: just a little over a year.
0: So, like, this is – your season's about to kick off, like, right now. I mean, snipe's open now, but like Jim was saying, that everything else is about to come in. Uh, Did the walk Saturday kind of change your your idea of what you're wanting to do with Cowboy to develop him in this season? Because he's at the perfect age to really start kind
2: of taking those steps. For sure. It excited me. Just just to say, I mean – some of the pins i have my own ex on that same road we were snipe hunting or where i've killed woodcock and hunted woodcock so just to have that diversity of birds to to be able to take him that are 20 minutes from my house is pretty awesome so i'm excited to to do that and and definitely excited to because i want to travel with him as he gets older and as my kids get older and get another dog hopefully here soon don't tell my wife that yet but um I, i i'm excited to uh use the snipe as well to you know like you said to to make the make him a little more cautious because the woodcock like you said you can can get so close on those birds and um i I think it'll just be a good way to round them out a little bit more be able to to try a few more things and i'm telling you i'm gonna have those rail on the marsh islands figured out with a dog next time i come back
0: (laughs) i'm anxious to try it out in the salt marsh yeah i think it'd be cool so let me you just said that you you're wanting to travel with your dog and go do some cool trips uh obviously that's something that I I love to do is travel and and you have to, when you live down there here in the Southeast, especially if you're wanting to get on your more traditional game birds. Uh, Is this something, what we did Saturday, is that something that you would actually travel a ways to go do, or is it just something that is, you know, something in your backyard that's convenient and and something that you can make happen on the weekends?
2: Well, I, I feel like I try to, my mindset in this whole upland thing is it's easy to like, be, be like, what was me? I don't have, you know, all this, all these different upland birds to target here in North Carolina, but to look at it as just an opportunity to get the dog out and, and you don't have to have, you know, all these different types of birds in your area. There, there's opportunity for everybody. And it was an encouragement for me in that way. And I would travel to go snipe hunt and woodcock hunt for sure. And and I want to go get on different types of birds as well. But, but I, I mean, I think, ta- I think a, an encouragement to anyone whether it's fishing or hunting or whatever you have, like, don't, don't wish you were somewhere else. Take advantage of what you have right there in your backyard and, and, and try to become good and the best you can at that. And so that was, that was cool. That, that's kind of my takeaway from that hunt is just, you know, an encouragement to look, you got all this in your backyard. You don't need to watch all these YouTube videos of Idaho and Kansas and Montana and wish you were there all season. You just, just go right, go right to your, your backyard and go shoot some birds.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if people just get out and explore with their dogs some of these game lines and stuff, they're going to find opportunities they didn't know existed, even if it's not sniper rail. You know, they go out there and all of a sudden there's 60 doves getting up out of a cornfield or something like that, you know. If you're sitting at home, you're not going to know about it. And, right. You know, that's giving your dog some work. You know, it might be retrieving, but, you know, I've shot doves just like upland birds too where they, you know, hold tight in cornfields and, and uh, uh, food plots and stuff like that. And yeah,
0: that was Lucy's first wild bird point was in Oklahoma it was on a dove and uh got it up and shot it so uh full circle here snipe was her first wild bird (laughs) retrieve and then the the dove but dove is another opportunity again Friday evening walking around not only all the ducks and and woodcock and everything but a group of dove got up and you and I both gave it some very serious consideration like do we go into that field and, and pop a couple uh but but we kept walking so uh it's obviously you know I just asked, would y'all travel? I mean, I just, I didn't travel very far. It's not like I did one of my 25 hour hikes to, to come hunt Snipe, but you know, I just drove, you know, what, what is it? Seven, eight hours or something like this to link up with you guys. And obviously I've worked in some other opportunities over the weekend. Uh, not just this, but it's fun. I mean, it's truly fun. I think I was telling you, Jim, uh, I, I can't say that I would do it day in, day out, but it is definitely something and a type of hunt that I would do a handful of times each year. I'm not I'm not going to give up the rough grouse woods f- for this on a on a daily basis. But if you only have an hour or two and and you need to go get your dog on some birds, man, there I've done a lot worse hunts than this. Oh yeah, we, we have a
1: blast doing it, and and like I said, it just it's the only thing we have this time of year, and and it's the last season to go out, and so you know I. It, it's kind of weird because this time of year, I'm seeing everyone post from out west and and all the bird hunts and stuff, and we're just sitting here patiently waiting for our bird seasons right, to come in. But then at the end of the at the end of the year, it's complete opposite. You know, you got all these people up in Minnesota and Wisconsin, you know, freezing their butts off and reading books and wishing they were out hunting. <laughs> and then we, you know, we we still got you know woodcock and quail season and and snipe season, and you know, so we're still getting after it in February and. You know i would say that a serious hunter from the east coast is one of the most traveled upland hunters you know because we always go out west for trips there, arizona south Dakota, to montana wherever um and it, it just boggles my mind that you know some of the people out there that are serious bird hunters don't come east and try to take advantage of some of what we offer even though it's not it's not world class uh but we offer something different and you know, you can get a lot of contacts and, you know, extend your season for your, for you and your dogs. So, I mean, that off-season, is that's dragging by when you're six or seven months and you haven't taken your dog out in the field uh, for a bird hunt. You know, I, I would
2: go out and hunt a Tweety bird if the, if I was allowed to. <laughs> yeah. yep. I think one of the other things that, that was a, a really cool inspiration to me was like when I used to live, I used to spend a bit of the year in Montana. And the public lands out west are just so awesome and very rich with game and I always kind of found myself complaining about North Carolina's public lands because for a lot of opportunities like deer and duck, maybe they're not that great, but snipe and woodcock, I mean, our public lands are loaded with them. And so it's a good encouragement if you're in the southeast to get out and explore your public game lands because there's a lot of, especially here in, you know, southeastern North Carolina, a ton of big tracts of public land that are great for snipe and woodcock and Pretty untraveled, other than your your deer hunters. Yeah, so.
1: and kind of what you know. Going back to that mixed bag, you know, woodcock they could be pretty good, pretty thick around here. So a lot of times you have a limit of woodcock in forty-five minutes or an hour, and especially if you take a day off of work or you have a whole day to hunt. Yeah, you know, snipes just a way to change change gears, you know, sure. especially if they're close by. Uh, so you can go, you know, do an early morning woodcock hunt and then do an afternoon snipe hunt if you want. And
0: well, I mean, it, it's just so telling that so many states have snipe and rail listed on the hunting season regs yet nobody ever looks into it and when you do look into it you're just automatically told you can't do that with a dog so it's like over the years I've been interested I've asked a couple guys in Tennessee some wardens or biologists I'm like well what, what is this about sniper rail and they're like oh you wouldn't want to do that you can't get on it with the dogs and so especially someone being new into, into upland hunting in general, you're told that by a biologist or a warden, you're going to take it at face value and you're not really going to go look into it any further than that. And Jim, you you mentioned that there was a warden in North Carolina, same thing, didn't know what a snipe was. And (laughs) it's just like, how do you guys have hunting regulations for species that you don't even know what it is? But, but the point I'm trying to make is not so much that like wardens need to study their regs, but it's, you have certain, each state has certain opportunities within their area it may not be the typical or normal opportunities that we all kind of associate with upland hunting in general but there's something to go do with your dog and really at the end of the day it's like just go find what you can do because judd to your point home birds or home opportunities home cooking whatever you want to call it just taste different you know yeah. it's just like i can travel to the north woods and go shoot rough grouse all day every day and I can come back down to the southeast and it takes me all year to maybe get one shot opportunity at a rough grouse. But you know what? That rough grouse I put down in my home state means 10 times more than what I get up uh, uh, up north. That could be through, you know, opportunity and numbers or just the amount of effort. But it also, I like to think of it as just, it's your home birds. You know, it, as, as strange as that sounds, like, yeah. and you know, it's just snipe you know that, that may not be the quintessential traditional you know home bird that everybody thinks of but maybe it should be i mean 60 plus flushes and contacts and opportunities in one day's work walk and it was fun it's not like you know we came back like well we got opportunities but we hated doing it yeah it, you know that would be different but yeah. I, I think it's something that deserves more consideration from from other people.
1: Yeah, because we've talked about the woodcock numbers are pretty good in the Southeast and and here in North Carolina during the winter. Um, But a lot of people will hunt woodcock. I mean, they don't put up 60 woodcock in a year, uh, even with good numbers. I mean, you know, it depends on how much you get out there and get after it. But, you know, to put up 60 birds in a day, yeah, you know, that's that's a whole nother ball game. Not even um, I
2: mean, in four hours. Yeah, <laughs> not and, even a full
1: day. And so, I mean, and one thing I want to make sure to to point out is sniper all across the U.S. They're not just a coastal bird. You know, they're they're classified as a shorebird, but I mean, where I think your Lake first shores, yeah, yeah, your first snipe was in the Midwest or something, wasn't North, it? North Dakota. Yeah, and can't uh, get
0: any more central than that. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I've, I've talked to people in Oregon and Washington who killed snipes. So I mean, they're literally you know everywhere if you find the right habitat.
0: Yeah, well. Jim, again, thanks for uh, sending the invite forever ago. I told you not to threaten me with a good time and and I took you up on it. Well, I'm going to threaten you a few more times probably. (laughs) Well, I I definitely enjoyed it. Again, you know, it's, that This might be something that I need to work in at, at least once or twice uh, every season for the dogs because it was just fun. I mean, it was just pure fun. And, uh, you know, Judd, I appreciate you having us down kind of entertaining us uh, for sure the, the last night and everything. And I, I look forward to these uh, King Rail and Clapper Rail spots that you're going to find. I'm going I'm going to be the guy. <laughs> you're going to be the guy. King Rail with birds. All right. Uh, or with te- dogs. <laughs> tell everybody where we can find you, Jim. I know, uh, you know, we just did the bird dog society thing, so uh, kind of give us your uh, your contacts feel for that again.
1: Yeah, so you can find me through a, a couple different places. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at gun dogs and fly rides, uh, or you can uh, reach out through bird dog society. Um, um, so our. In, if, if you want info on anything uh, related to Bird Dog Society, that's info, dot, or info at birddogsociety.org. Uh, and then
2: Instagram is probably the best way to reach me at gun dogs and fly rods. Gotcha. Judd, how can people find you? Um, Judd Brock Fishing on Instagram. And then for fishing, it's it's uh, easternangling.com and easternwaterfowl.com for my duck hunting. And I got too many names going on here. <laughs> I do have a fishing podcast, and that's Eastern Current. So a lot, of, if, just type in Eastern. You might find me. Eastern Outdoors. (laughs) Eastern
0: Outdoorsman. There we go. Well, guys, I appreciate it. And uh, listeners, stay tuned for the outro, and uh, we'll check back next week. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Jim and Judd talking about snipe and rail. I'm going to go ahead and say it, I've had, it's been a couple weeks since I've gotten back and I've had time to kind of reflect on it, and I know we talked about it briefly on the on the episode, but I will go ahead and say that I still agree. So far, I've, I've had the privilege of going cross country and hunting a lot of birds and a lot of different species in a lot of areas. Uh, I'm not going to say that snipe hunting is the best upland hunting by any means, but I will say It is for sure in my head, without a doubt so far, the most underappreciated option for upland hunting out there. I mean, it just, it was a freaking blast. I mean, ultimately it's, you know, for all the reasons that you heard on the episode, we got quality dog work with a ton of contacts and flushes that is not very common or, or readily accessible, especially here in the Southeast. And, they're just cool birds you know i know woodcock here in the past couple years has gotten a lot of love uh rightfully so they're they're fascinating birds in their own right but snipe they're not that much different it's it's just like a a smaller version of woodcock they look uh complete completely different than other upland birds other than the woodcock um so they have kind of my respect in that regard just just how they look but how they act is this a completely different style hunt you know it's it it, it kind of you're kind of melding or combining quail hunting mixed with woodcock hunting, mixed with dove hunting, mixed with a little waterfowl. You know, you're, you're working these flooded marshes. It's just cool. You know, I, I don't know if it's something that if I had, you know, readily accessible land to go do it or quality land to go do it. I don't know if i would be doing it on like a weekend week out basis but i do know if i find some good spots here in my area it is something i will be doing at least a few times every season you know i'm not going to sit here and say i i want to go snipe hunting over rough grouse hunting or even over woodcock hunting uh i will say that i probably prefer going snipe hunting other than like maybe dove hunting uh you know for whatever the heck that means or, or means to you but The point that I'm trying to make is it's something that you don't hear a lot about the few times a year that you do hear it, whether it's on a random podcast episode or some random article somebody wrote on uh, social media. It's it all lends itself to everybody saying you have to go try it. And since the episode I got home, I uh, ended up eating the birds that we shot, and they're delicious. I mean, they they really are, they're, they're delicious birds. I think I made, a, I, I know I'm gonna butcher this, I think it, it it was called snipe perloo or porlo, however you pronounce it, it's a Hank Shaw recipe, and it was delicious. I mean, m- me, my wife, my daughter, uh, my folks even came in town, tried it, they loved it. It's uh, very underappreciated in not only how you hunt them, where you hunt them, how you hunt them, but how they taste as well. It is definitely if if it's something, if your state and your area has a season, I would highly, highly encourage you to give it a chance. Go, go try it out. Again, you know, when you're learning something new, the first few outings can be uh pull your hair out, bang your head against the wall, what have you. Uh keep going because it was a blast. It was so much fun shooting and 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 I'm just gonna leave it at that. You know, I d I don't need to expand any more on how much I enjoyed it. The fact is I just enjoyed it, and I appreciate Jim uh, inviting me down. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he... Uh it wasn't just a false invite, you know. A lot of people do that and say, "Oh yeah, come on down." And I, you tell them, "Don't threaten me with a good time. I'm gonna come." Well, I came, and and we went out, and we just had a blast. You know, the first day was a little slower. We still flew a few birds. Uh, second day was was on point. Me, him, and Judd, we all we all shot plenty of times. I went through an entire box of shells. The dogs did a lot better than what I anticipated. Not not really knowing that game at all. Uh, I typically don't concern myself too much much with my dogs hunting new birds because I have full of faith in my dogs, especially after, you know, if you come across them in, in a few reps, they're going to figure it out. I was worried, not worried, but curious how they were going to take to running in flooded fields the entire day. You know, that's something to where they they're, they obviously do not hesitate going into water or running through flooded marsh or what have you but when you're doing a quote-unquote upland hunt in that conditions I was kind of curious to see how that was going to play out and you know I think we mentioned again in the episode uh Lucy caught on eventually you know it, it took her a little while to warm up to it and Rachel just came out of the box just like like she's done it a million times so it was, it was really fascinating to see that and then Manu uh Doing his thing, you can tell that he, he's had a few reps on it. It was really fun watching uh, the poodle pointer go at it, and then uh, as well as Judd's Griff just kind of piecing it together as a young puppy and uh, some of the qualities and characteristics he was shown by the end of it. It's, uh, it's a testament to what we preach on this podcast all the time to where you can only do so much with planted birds. Planted birds... They have a time, they have a place, they have a purpose. There's nothing wrong with training on planted birds. Uh, But if you really want to develop an actual bird dog, you have to go get your dog on wild birds and I don't think it's so much a proponent of you have to get on this bird or that bird or that species you just have to get out there and get hunting experience on your dogs get them used to checking objectives you know checking off this shrub over there going to check this patch of, of what have you over there I, I think you guys get the point and so I'm going to hop off on my soapbox on that. It's just, it, it was just fun. It, it's, uh, I always love finding good uh, hunting options, especially kind of closer to home and at least in the same region, the Southeast, it's, uh, you know, home birds are are a little different than traveling as much as, as much fun as that is. There's, you can't really take away hunting birds within your own local region. It's uh it's a blast. But with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoy kind of taking a break from the normal pheasants, grouse, you know, whatever content, it's uh, get out there. Don't be afraid to try new things. And and with that being said, don't be afraid to consider signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. It really means a lot that you would support the show. And uh, we have a lot of good stuff coming out your way. I mean, we're in the middle of working on stuff. I'm trying to, you know, I'm piecing together some video editing, it's a learning curve. So, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody's patience with that. But uh, we look forward to kind of unveiling some new content coming down the road. If there's anything that you would like to see or hear on the podcast, I've had quite a few people reaching out here lately with a lot of podcast suggestions and episode suggestions. Uh, I really appreciate that I follow up on the vast majority of them unless it's something that I just recently touched on uh, or a guest that I just recently had on or, or what have you we try and space things out we try to be a little different keep everybody on their toes keep it fresh. Uh, But by all means, if you have a suggestion or something jogs memory to where you think a guest would be great for us, shoot it to us at gundogityourself at gmail.com or shoot it to us on our socials on Facebook and Instagram, again, under yourself. And with that all being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I appreciate, once again, everybody hitting play and downloading. It means the world to us that you would listen uh, week in, week out, and uh, just hit that subscribe button so you don't miss what we have coming next week. And with that...